0: we've now come to our catechism lesson and we'll be continuing our understanding within the doctrine of Christ. Now, we've come to that aspect, which is the estate of his humiliation. Hum- <laughs> Man, words, such a tight anger. And within knowing this estate, I want to bring to your attention two points. Of the first, what requisites should the redeemer have to mediate the covenant of grace? And did this estate, secondly, make it proper for him to take the function that is the mediator? My short introduction In this soliloquy, I bring to your attention that first covenant God had established in the garden. And as the narrative continues, we understand that our parents did not fulfill their obligation as requested of them. Well, because the estate of sin and misery was created for mankind, a redeemer must undo what was done. So let's take a closer look. What our assistant pastors have conveyed and it's better understood based on what we've gone through in the past lessons. The Father elects, the Son redeems, and the Spirit seals. But these responsibilities and roles were agreed upon initially before the world began amongst the Godhead. So think about this if the Redeemer of man is supposed to make right. How is he going to do his job if it's not defined? And we know, as I stated before, the Godhead had to define the roles. So therefore, since this is the case, only by good and necessary consequence may we deduce from scripture, and because of the dispensation of time, we know the the Redeemer has been revealed in the canon of scriptures, has been closed, so as Paul puts it beautifully in Ephesians one: nine, the Lord made known his mystery to us according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him. So then it allows me to segue to my first point, what should be the requisites of the redeemer to have to mediate the covenant of grace? Well, by God's most holy and wise counsel to do his own will, revealed in the scriptures, the redeemer of man must be, in essence, God. And being that it was God, then of the three, it was God, the son, who was to take this role. For in doing so, and him being the eternal son of God, he is of one substance and equal with the father. John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. Philippians 2, verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it no robbery to be equal with God. And if he is God, here is a subpoint to this first requisite that he must be God. He will sustain and keep his elect from sinking into the infinite wrath of God and the power of death, Acts 2, 24. But God raised him from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Again, if the Redeemer of man is God, only he can procure God's favor. Note here. Matthew 3 17 behold the voice came from the heaven and said this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased Only him Can he purchase a people for his own possession Titus 2 13 and 14 looking for the blessed hope appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good works. He can give them his spirit. Galatians 4 verse 6, Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart. So now you can cry, Abba, Father. Only he can satisfy God's justice and bring to the elect, to them, everlasting salvation. Romans 3 24, being justified as a gift by his grace through redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. And from there, Hebrews 5 8 and 9, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. So what was the number one is that the Redeemer of man must be God. What was the number two? The Redeemer of man must also be a man. And why is this to be so? Well, he can be merciful and faithful, and he can make reconciliation for the sins of his people. Hebrews 2 16 and 17. For he in no sort took on him the angel's nature, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest and things concerning God, that he also might make the reconciliation for the sins of the people. He can perfectly perform obedience to the law in which Adam lacked. Romans five nineteen. for as through one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also through one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Then in making intercession between God and man does it give worth and efficacy. Note here Hebrews 7:25 Therefore he is also able to save forever those who come to God through him since he always makes intercession for them if he was a man he can sympathize with our weaknesses and then in turn can we have comfort to go to the grace of God Hebrews 4 15 through 16 for if we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are yet without sin Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find it in the time of need. Again, by him can we be adopted as sons. Galatians 4, 5, so that he might redeem those who are under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. So, requisite one, the Redeemer must be God. Requisite two, the Redeemer must be a man. What is also needed? Well, his name should also take president. His name should also have meaning and reverence. Therefore, requisite three, consider this. His name shall be holy. Philippians 2.9, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above all names. The name must have meaning to show that hypostatic union between the Godhead and the manhood, as to anoint him above all measure, and to have him set apart above all men, so that he is fully furnished with all eternity, authority and ability. Matthew 1, 21 and 23. She will bear a son, and she shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Again, Philippians 2, 10 and 11, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and of those who are in heaven, And of those who are on earth and those under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we notice how his humiliation makes it proper for him to take the function as a mediator. But now, 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 because given all those requisites, did it make it right? How did he exemplify himself and showing that now that we knew the foundation and the basis by which he is to redeem man, how does that now get played in time and space? The question is, how did Jesus Christ in his first in this first piece become a man? Right, for he is the Son of God, and this. This is where I want you to take your attention to because in his humiliation, we're going to exemplify it in his birth, we're going to exemplify it in his life, and we're going to exemplify it in his death. For in his birth, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as you've heard before, emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And yet sin a body was prepared for him with a reasonable soul it was conceived by the power of God the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary so that in the fullness of time to become the Son of Man note here even the estate of which his parents took was considered for he was made from a woman of a low estate and to be born of her because she carried diverse circumstances of more than the ordinary. What does it mean? She wasn't famous. She wasn't rich. She wasn't esteemed. She didn't have any some sort of nor- notoriety. Well, I mean, nowadays, if you talk to a Roman Catholic, they wouldn't make her co-redemptress. But that's a different story for a different day. I bring your attention to Luke 2, verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn for them. And the scripture even goes further as Paul shows why this was purposed concerning him. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty may become rich. How did the Christ exemplify himself in his life? And this again, I'll even bring it to you in this question. By good and necessary consequence, can you ask, how did Jesus Christ, again, being the son of God, now becoming man, conduct himself well again he took himself a true body without sin and a reasonable soul so as he cohabited with mankind here on earth Christ humbled himself in this life by subjecting himself to the law which he perfectly fulfilled matthew 5:17 think not that i have come to destroy the law or the prophets I have not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. Christ further humbled himself in this life by conflicting with the identities of the world, the temptations of Satan and the infirmities in his flesh. Hebrews two eighteen. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. But now note this, in humbling himself in this life, he endured the most grievous torments immediately to his soul and the most painful sufferings to his body. Do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Matthew twenty-six thirty-eight? My soul is gr- deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Oh, but how about this? Matthew 26, 67, and 68, as they spit on his face, as they beat him with their fists, they mocked him as they slapped him and said, prophesize to us, you the Christ, who is the one who actually hit you? So now facing the tortures of this world, do we now segue to this question? which is, how did Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, humble himself in death? For in death, we notice, he was betrayed by one of his own, then forsaken by the remaining eleven. He suffered scorn and rejection by the world. He was unjustly condemned by the Roman government, by which his persecutors tormented him he further showed his conflict with death by battling with the powers of darkness for he felt and he bore the weight of God's wrath as he laid his life as an offering for sin and enduring the painful, shameful and cursed death on the cross because remember note the presence that he feels in agony, Luke 22:44, And in being in agony, he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. To the point when he was hanging on the cross in Matthew 27, 46. He states, and I quote, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So note, even towards this, as it comes in his humiliation, it's really interesting to notice what transpired after death. For consider his burial, where he continued in the state of death and under the power of death until the third day. And you've heard it from our creed, when it was expressed, he descended into hell. Clearly, this is what it means, Matthew 12, 40. For just as Jonah was in the stomach of the sea monster for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So with this, I conclude, by the most wise and holy counsel of God's own will revealed in the scriptures, we now saw the Redeemer's requisites were defined but further, given Christ's humiliation, we notice how he hunted himself in birth, in life, and in death. For being conceived by the power of God the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary, we saw how he cohabited with mankind here on earth. And then we finally noticed and understood how he was crucified, died, and was buried. And all this, throughout all this, yet he saw no corruption. for being our redeemer, and he was without sin. It was on the third day do we see the promised work. And in the next lesson, we're going to examine that promised work with Christ and his exaltation.